Welcome to the Artistic Finance Podcast, where we break down the wall between art and money. If you're here looking for how to be an artist and financially sustain a career, you're in the right place. Keep listening and join us as we learn about artists and how they make money work for them. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Ethan Steimel, here for a special episode 17.1. Thank you for listening. Today's episode focuses on hashtag Red Alert Restart, which is an event on September 1st. On that day, over 1,500 buildings across North America will be lit up red from 9 p.m. to midnight local time. The hope is that photos of these red buildings and other events will take over social media to raise awareness for the 12 million live event workers in the United States that are currently unemployed, furloughed, or have lost 90% of their income. Here to talk with us about it is our guest, Michael Strickland, founder and chair of Bandit Lights, a major entertainment lighting company. Michael worked tirelessly with congressional members to pass the CARES Act in March and is now working with Congress again to encourage the new Restart Act. Without further ado, let's get to our interview. Michael Strickland, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. And I'm going to say this is August 24th, 2020, that we're recording this. So it's amidst the COVID-19 pandemic and the Black Lives Matter reawakening. Could you give us a recap of your life and career to where you are right now? Oh, Lord, do you have enough tape? (laughs) (laughs) I started out at age five in community theater, and uh, I had seen lighting and and knew that that Fresnels and Lecos and such existed. But at age 12, I went and saw the Monkees or the Beach Boys or one of those pop bands and fell in love. But also by age 12, I'd been kicked out of the boys' choir. I'd had, had every kind of musical lesson one could have. Had no talent, knew I'd never be in show business. <laughs> but like most people, I had a burning desire to be in show business. Yeah. And as you probably know, everybody behind the scenes in show business is actually a wannabe singer, dancer, or actor. We just <laughs> never had the path to get there. So anyway, my desire to be in show business I wanted to be doing the rock shows and I I started dragging the lights from the theater of the high school down to the gym and lighting the monkeys and the beach boys and Paul Revere and the Raiders because in 68, nobody carries lighting. So from that grew this company because I just never stopped doing it. And on a given weekend in Kingsport, Tennessee, we would have all the lights from the high school and both junior highs and and three U-Haul trailers all over the Southeastern United States lighting these bands. Then I came to the University of Tennessee and continued to do it with the lights out of the University of Tennessee's theater. And then we began to buy stuff. And, uh, you know, we had this company that we had named Bandit from day one. And uh, I was working out of a dorm room and uh, did $2 million out of a dorm room (laughs) with the big acts of the day. I kind of skipped the whole club thing and ended up working with the really big acts and uh, just never quit. My parents thought I would get a law degree because I went to law school, but when I finished law school, they said, well, now you're going to be a lawyer. And I said, no, actually, I'm on tour with a guy named Kenny Rogers. And uh, that was at the time, that was as big as it got. And here we are 52 years later, and uh, Bandit Lights has got operations all around the world and several hundred employees, and we're just having a heck of a lot of fun. That's amazing. Are you ever going to retire? I'll have to pry my car can from my cold, dead hand. <laughs> 
figures. That's everybody in the entertainment industry is that way. I yeah, think. What else would you do? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so can you, we've sort of picked up some of these just by your story, but can you describe your demographics for us? Yeah, I'm, I'm a Caucasian American male, 65 years old. guess that's about it. Okay. So now a couple questions about your creative personality. What is a live event that you like to experience? You know, I think that's a loaded question because people are social, even unsocial people are social and people like live events. That's that's in this time of COVID. That's that's the biggest, I would say, thread of hope. But it's not a thread. It's a it's a great big giant piece of rope because people are social creatures. Even the ones that are to themselves are social. You know, we like to socialize, whatever that means. And in this time of COVID, People are more than ever want to do things. So for me, you know, I just love shows, uh, shows of all kinds, of of all types, uh, music of all kinds and all types. I mean, I'm as diverse as I worked years for Conway Twitty and Loretta Lynn and uh, all the way to Alice Cooper, who's a a friend of mine, a client of mine and, and a great entertainer and everything in between. I love Broadway. I I love musicals. I love television. I love film. Uh, Believe it or not, I like trade shows. I mean, yeah, yeah. I understand. Big special event. I mean, just just anything that's that draws the public together. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And also trade shows. I mean, we laugh about it, but trade shows are spectacle. They're just huge. (laughs) When rock and roll began, there was this there was this 200 year old thing called theater legit theater. And those two didn't meet for a long, long time. Although they started sharing stuff, they didn't meet for a long time. But about 20 years ago, rock and roll took over and rock and roll now drives everything in the world of audio, lighting and technical stuff. So the first the first people that adopt staging or scenery or lighting or rigging or special effects are always the rock and roll bands and then it works back into broadway but the first 20 25 years everything went from theater to rock and roll yeah so you know there's such a blend there now isn't there because you can't take a talk about a technology a piece of equipment a thought process that it doesn't it doesn't work across live entertainment theater trade shows i mean it, it it's all there across all platforms amazing Okay, we have your creative personality. Now your financial personality. Are you bad with money or good with money? Oh, that's my strong point. I've got a degree in business and a degree in law and uh, formally educated in both. Never took a moment of uh, formal training in, in, in theatrical lighting or entertainment. That, that's sort of a, a learned skill. But yeah, that's, yeah. I'm a numbers guy. And uh, it, you know, it, it pays off in a time like this because I'm one of the most conservative people in the live entertainment industry. And when COVID hit, because I am so financially conservative, uh, we had cash reserves and, and didn't end up in a, in a place like most people did. And that's just because of my fiscal conservative nature. Yeah. Amazing. Shifting into COVID, you have been working with legislation and this Restart Act. What, what have you been doing? I had the good fortune of when this hit of coming at it from sort of three or four different angles. Number one, I've been in the entertainment business for 52 years. That's a point of view. I've been on the board of the University of Tennessee Medical Center for 15 years. So I've got a medical background. Right now, we're talking two and three times a day between all of us on the board at the hospital about the medical situation. Uh, I also come at this 
from a business background in that I have a business education and understand it as well as the legal background. And then because of my other endeavors, uh, I'm friends with uh, Jimmy Haslam who owns uh, uh, the Cleveland Browns. And, and I know other people in pro football. I'm also heavily involved in college football. I also know the people that own uh, Bristol Motor Speedway and seven other NASCAR tracks. So I was able very quickly to get the NASCAR take on what was going on with live events and the football take on what was going on. And, and, and I'm on every board there is at University of Tennessee. So I sort of had the, the school approach and then I had the medical approach. And then the final piece was I've known Lamar Alexander and Marsha Blackburn, the two senators from the state of Tennessee for over 40 years each. So on March 14th, when this ha happened, I called both of them and said, help. And they said, surely. And immediately I became a voice to them and eventually to others, including uh, Senator Rubio, Senator Young and Bennett, who stood up the uh, Restart Act and a host of other senators and congresspeople, giving them uh, guidance and information as it pertained to small business and particularly to the live event small businesses to craft first the CARES Act and the PPP, then the revisions to the PPP. And right now I'm knee deep in conversations with all the political leaders about whatever they're gonna call the next relief act. So I've literally spent 14 to 16 hours a day since March the 14th, dealing with uh, our political leaders and their staffs, uh, helping them craft the legislation, giving them sort of the live event, live entertainment point of view of what we need. And right now we're at a point that everything else has been done, restarts the vehicle that, that will save most of the struggling small businesses, and in particular, uh, the small businesses in the live event industry. And let me, let me add this, the, the biggest uphill battle we have is very simple. Most people look at entertainment, whether it be Broadway, or uh, a trade show, or a rock show, or a country show, and they go, well, those people are really wealthy. They make a lot of money because they look at the Rolling Stones and you too and go, well, they got to be okay. They got a lot of money and, and yeah, they're taking care of their people, surely. So they're all okay. Well, as you know, below the line, below the artists, below the equity actors and below the people on television and film, there's the rest of us. And we're not so financially secure. And indeed, we're not working because you know, there is no artist that can afford to pay everybody that works for them for a year to sit and do nothing. And so we're the biggest business that they don't know exists. When people go to see a show, whether it be on Broadway or a trade show or a rock show, they just assume all that stuff is there. The sound, the lights, the video, the buses, the trucks. They don't know that that's a business. So they don't know we're there. They do think we're all wealthy. And what I'm trying to change right now is the national media hasn't talked about us at all. They talk about gymnasiums, they talk about restaurants, they talk about beauty parlors and hair salons. Live entertainment has gotten almost no mention. And I'm tickled to death because tomorrow morning I'm on CNBC at 7.15. And this will be the first national exposure of the fact that live entertainment is, has been dead since March the 13th and will be dead till February of next year. Yeah, at least. So, so that's, that's kind of what I'm working on nonstop is the political thing. You won't find anybody in our industry that has a better understanding holistically of all the bills and all the acts and what's been done and what's going to be done and, and how they actually, as they say, make the sausage. I mean, I'm, I'm in tune with what's going on day to day and I have conversations every day with them and 
sort of more than have the pulse of what's going on. I, I knew you were connected to Bandit Lights. I didn't realize you had all these other connections and were on the board of so many other things and industries. <laughs> no, it's a, it's broader than that. I, I was going to ask you, could you tell us how Bandit Lights fared from you know, March until now and into the future. We're an anomaly, as I said, because I'm so fiscally conservative and we had large cash reserves. We hadn't actually spent all of our CapEx money for the year and we had saved up money to buy our new facility in Charlotte. And we had money saved up for pay raises and money saved up for paid vacation. So believe it or not, we got 300 plus employees and we haven't laid anybody off. Whoa. I don't like to talk about that, but We've kept everybody employed, a hundred percent. Oh my gosh! You know, we—I don't talk about it because I—it—it it doesn't sound right, uh, and and we we can make it through to to January, uh, just because I'm, I'm very fiscally conservative. Right. But we're an anomaly, and I'm I'm actually doing what I'm doing to really to fight for the rest of the industry. Now, that doesn't mean that if they make more funding available. We won't take our uh, portion because, yes, we could surely use it to get our cash reserves back up where they were. Right, right. You know, the first little bit, everybody thought it'd be over in 30 or 60 days. Well, the biggest thing we deal with now is, uh, you know, people's emotions and keeping the spirits high because we're at halftime. We're coming out of the locker room. We've come through five months of nothingness and we've got five more months of, of nothing. And, you know, how, Ethan, how do you feel? not getting to craft your trade. I mean, yeah. those of us that do this, do this for one reason, and that's the love of the game. We love what we do. We all know we could make more money doing something else, but we just love entertainment. We love what we do. And to not be able to craft your trade is emotionally probably more devastating than the financial part. And I hear that, I hear that daily. We all thought it was going to be over. It's going to be short term. Oh, just hang on another month. Hang on another month. And now it's like, okay, you can't kid yourself. February of next year is a positive, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe realistic, hopeful, but like yep. the, before then, nothing. Like live events will not be happening before then, guaranteed. But, but getting from, what are we, August the 24th to January the 15th, that's a long time. Yeah. And, and keeping people's mindsets right. I actually think the, the second half will be tougher than the first half. And I don't mean financially, while it probably will be financially, yeah. just the emotional piece. Mm-hmm. And we need each other more than ever. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. I, I've got to help cure the financial piece as much as I can. And the way that the Restart Act works for the companies, uh, the companies get 45% of last year's revenue to do with as they see fit. And, and hopefully they will pay their people. And then the, the individuals, uh, the individuals that have that worked for themselves via 1099, they too can come get 45% of last year's earnings. So it tends to take care of both individuals and companies, but then we still have to turn to the emotional part. That's where we depend on one another. But, you know, I, I believe even if you had your whole paycheck, there's still the emotional part. You know, I'm not doing what I was trained to do. Our office people, by and large, are doing what they're trained to do. Our road people are cleaning the floor with toothbrushes. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. Yeah. how fulfilling is that? Now, we're very fortunate that we, we have gotten a modicum of work. You know, we have, we're, doing, we're doing a fair amount of those virtual and, and those kind of things, and we've got some socially distanced special events. I mean, it, it, it's nothing that would support this or any other company. But what we're doing is if it's a job that we would typically put 
two people on. We'll put four people on it or six people on it. They're getting paid anyway. Right. Yeah. So we'll send them over to the job site and they'll do that. And it gives them a day or two or three. Yeah. And, and it's exciting. And, and we, you know, we did a 10 day thing for Garth Brooks. Mm-hmm. So we had uh, 35 people that got day rates for, you know, for 10 days. Yeah. So awesome. Just cool stuff like that. Yeah. 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 All right. That's a hope. That's a, it's like that. Your story is like the best story out of this. <laughs> it's, it's really, it's, it's really wonderful. Can we talk about the hashtag we make events and hashtag red alert restart? We make events was created by some people in uh, the United Kingdom. And I, I get on the uh, a zoom with those folks uh, once every 10 days or so. And, and we interface and I give them advice and they give me advice. Well, they had stood up this thing called red alert. Now, again, the company's called We Make Events because it encompasses every one of us that makes events. The event that they did was called Hashtag Red Alert to alert the UK and Europe that you know, the industry's dead in the water. So they did one. And out of a couple of Zoom meetings, uh, myself and a couple of other people uh, agreed to stand one up in America. And we have, and I'm here to tell you, it is monolithic. The minute we started building it, we started having... Uh, regional captains just sign on and we've got 2000 buildings on September 1st that are going to turn red. And that includes iconic things like the Empire State Building, Niagara Falls, the Staples Center. I mean, it's it's all over the board. They're all over America. And then we've got teams in every city where people just came on board, stepped up and said, you know what, I'm going to do a case push. And then they got 50 people together to do a case push. Uh, In Nashville, there's a a gentleman named Chris Lyle that's got to drive through town with a couple of hundred cars in it with signs and whatnot. And I mean, all over America and North America, including Canada, people are, are, are creating events to, to, to execute on that day. So we're going to have this uh, large, large visible event. We've got national media that's going to cover it. We've got local media, media that's going to cover it. Uh, we began collecting a bunch of 10-second videos from stars, Bon Jovi and Steven Tyler and Alice Cooper and Jason Aldeans and Reba McIntyre, people like that. Just 10 seconds of, hey, you know, red alert, the industry's dead in the water, you know, help us. They all say whatever they want to say. But this is going to be a huge event on Monday, excuse me, Tuesday, September 1st. And that's the day that... Uh, that, that really when the legislators, they're at home still, so we're going to be able to get them to the events and we're doing that. But between the first and the fifth is really when a lot of the sausage making, as they say, is going to occur uh, out of session. And when they come back into session on the 14th, a lot of the decisions will have been made. So we're going to impact them with this large event. And even after, we're, we're, we're going to continue to send them pictures of the different events. We're going to post it all over everybody's social media. We're going to email these little movies to all of the senators and Congress people. And of course, I'll continue the lobbying uh, for it myself and myself and many other people. Yeah. Is there anything individuals can do like me in my apartment in New York? What what can I do to support this? Absolutely. Just go to hashtag we make events. And then from there, you're steered to to the website and it identifies your, your region captain. And then you get in touch with your region captain and he or she will tell you, here's what's going on. And then in many cases, people like yourself have said, Hey, here's my idea. You know, in other words, there might already be a case push, but, but, but somebody says, I've got an idea for a, a, a drive through. And, and indeed that's happened in a number of cities where there's a, a car parade, if you will, and a case push. Uh, and, and there's a whole bunch of other cool things going on where, 
you know, somebody just has an idea. So yeah, just go to hashtag we make a fence and uh, it walks you through it. It's menu driven. I, I have a Lico. Maybe I'll put a red gel in it and light up my apartment building. <laughs> Apollo, the Gobo company has stepped up and has made all of the relevant Gobos and, and they're, they wish they could give them away, but they're in as much pain as everybody else. So they're selling them at, at it cost. I mean, they're they're next to nothing. You know, let's see if it's September first, rush shipping, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, two last questions for you. Well, maybe one only. Um, do you have any advice or encouragement for live event workers right now? I'm, I'm nothing but encouragement, and and what I'm about to give you is an opinion, but it's an educated opinion. And and people have been, you know, I've got 1.2 million people in my email chain now. And, and folks have been coming to me for information and I kind of backed into it, but uh, there are three uh, vaccines on the horizon. All three are meant to be dropped in October. Uh, they're, all in, they're all in phase uh, three clinical trials right now, which means you have 30,000 people. They're all gonna be finished at the end of this month. Then they have to do a thing called peer review, which will occur in September. And then sometime in October, if the FDA gives them approval, they can begin rolling them out. Well. There are actually six companies that have already made over 100 million doses of, of their vaccine just for the United States that the government's contracted with them. Well, these three will all have 100 million doses sometime in October, assuming they get FDA approval. The efficacy of these drugs or the efficiency uh, in, in, the, in the phase two trial was right at 100% for all three of them. Now, those trials are much smaller. They're, you know, three or 4,000. But the expectation is that the efficacy will be uh, extraordinarily high. The expectation is that these things will be FDA cleared, and the expectation is that they'll be out. There's also six or seven uh, therapeutics that will be out in, in October, November. So how do I look at it? Well, I, I do think we'll get these things out. I do think that, that the, the vaccines and the therapeutics will be with us in October, November. I do think by the time we get to January, from a health perspective, we, we will be in a very, very good place. But the the issue is there's two other perspectives that have to, to line up correctly. Uh, one of them is the political perspective because this virus has become very polarizing politically. And I don't mean red or blue, I just mean politically as in some people uh, are, think, think that we shouldn't open for a year and some people think we should open today. And that, those are sort of political, I don't mean Republican, Democrat, I just mean I've got good friends that say you're nuts to do anything before 2022. So that's sort of a political point of view. But let's assume that we get to, to January with, with a happy medical situation. You know, I would hope that we can get to a happy political situation. And then the third piece, which is different, is what I call the social situation. Because again, absent a, a, a political don't set till, don't do anything till 2022, some people will probably just still be afraid. You know, and not for any particular reason, just we're all afraid of the unknown, aren't we? So I think we'll end up with, with some people that are bold and some people that are timid. So in a perfect world, uh, the, the political situation would, would melt to nothing. Uh, and the number of people that socially uh, can't quite get themselves into a spot to re-engage in the world will be a smaller number. And if all that happens by January, February, I think we'll be back to work to a decent level by the end of March. Certainly, uh, I, would, I would think to a full level by April, May, June. 
but that that all trails back to the beginning that the medical situation has to be corrected because as long as that's as it is now the political and the social situations remain in turmoil well that's very positive and hopeful i like that at all and and like reasonable hope i do believe that that we'll be back to work at a moderate to, to fair level in march i do because i know the medical piece you know i i, I know how these uh, vaccines work uh, the most of them are synthetics. Uh, none of them actually give you the virus like other vaccines. A lot of vaccines, you get the virus and develop an immunity. These are synthetics that have been uh, created that are interjected into you and they put RNA into you, which, which tells your immune system what to do. Yeah. So there's no danger of getting, of getting COVID from, from getting the uh, vaccine. Man, I've learned a lot on this discussion. <laughs> um, okay, final question. Where can people find out more about you and or Bandit Lights and or anything else you want us to find? Oh, geez. Bandit, Bandit Lights is www.banditlights, which is spelled L-I-T-E-S dot com. And our, our website's there, which we actually made a new one, but we haven't put up yet. And that gives you a pretty good, pretty good view of the company. Uh, I'm not actually mentioned on the company. Our, all of our social media is there. If you want to get a modern picture, go to our social media. The most information about me probably is Googling me because I literally have hundreds of thousands of posts or go to my LinkedIn page, uh, which is open to anybody that wants to look at it. And that kind of gives you a snapshot into what I've done. But, you know, I ran the Chamber of Commerce here in Knoxville for four years, an adjunct professor at the university and do a lot of weird things that people wouldn't guess. <laughs> Amazing. OK. And then also, if you visit the page for this episode, I'll put the We Make Events and the Red Alert restart i'll have links for all this and bandit lights and everything on this website page fantastic michael thank you for chatting with us for a bit uh, ethan thank you very much and everything we can do to to get the word out and uh, to get people engaged and involved not only in in red alert but just in in the rebuilding of this industry and and more importantly the the reach outs to all of our legislators when i talk to my legislators i left this out earlier live events by far it's had the biggest impact in terms of communication. We've done three uh, call to actions through NAM because we linked up with NAM. There have been numerous other call to actions from various segments of the industry, uh, the venue people, uh, the, 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 the talent agent people, NEVA and NEDO. Uh, Screen Actors Guild has done one. I mean, it, it's all over the board. Uh, uh, live event coalition. I mean, there's so many great organizations out there. ExtendPUA.org. I mean, they've all got phenomenal websites and reach. Just all of that outreach, every single touch to a legislator makes the difference. And what they've told me is they have gotten tenfold more communications from live event people than any other sector. So our voice has been heard. Our goal now is to push this restart bill across the line so that we can get all the individuals and all the companies funded to a level to, to get through to next February. Yeah, amazing. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ethan. Take care. That was our interview with Michael Strickland. My takeaways were, stay hopeful for the vaccine and the medical solution. We need to set aside political sides and help all our citizens. If you want to help, please visit artisticfinance.com for details or search Red Alert Restart. If you have a moment, please find our page on YouTube and subscribe. It may not seem like the best use of your time, but each subscriber helps us get noticed by other listeners. That's it for today. 
Until next time, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance. Find more information on our website, artisticfinance.com. Please subscribe to our podcast and please leave a rating and review. Artistic Finance is produced in New York City by Nicole and Ethan Steimel. Producing consultant Ann Nigrin Doherty. Graphics and website by Josh Cutler. Music by Chong Liu.